brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about uh, pedophiles, molestation, and child rape today. Now, and these are heavy, heavy, heavy topic, but, uh, you know, a huge percent of our population, if not, there's probably an unspoken 50%, but one in six people statistically, at least in the United States, has reported and spoken of child molestation. I can tell you doing therapy for all these years that there are a lot more people that don't talk about it, that never reveal it, and uh, just suffer the consequences. And I imagine uh, on this show, this might open the, the, the tomb for some of you. And it's very important to understand how common this is and how it's all set up. So what we're going to talk about is, first of all, what, what is molestation? And uh, we're going to define that. So it, it's basically, and I'm just going to go from a very rudimentary perspective, It's the crime of sexual acts with children up to the age of 18, including touching of private parts, exposure of genitalia, taking of pornographic pictures, rape, inducement of sexual acts with the molester or with other children, and variations of these acts by pedophiles. Molestation also applies to incest by a relative with a minor family member, and any unwanted sexual acts with adults short of rape. So, now what is a pedophile? Well, in simple terms, it's a person attracted to young children, you know, and it could be that that person is actually a teenager going after a young child. So, many times it's teenagers going after younger children too. However, statistically, uh, the most common uh, pedophile that's found out there is in their 30s and they're male. Uh, sexual abuse is, is particularly sinister type of trauma because the shame it instills in the victim, uh, it, you know, with, with children's sexual abuse, victims are often too young to even know how to express what is happening and seek out help. When, when it's not treated, this can result in a lifetime of post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety and depression. And so the trauma that basically results from the sexual abuse is a syndrome that affects not just the victim and their family, but all of society. Because sexual abuse, molestation, and rape are such shame-filled concepts, all of our culture tends to suppress information about them. And that includes any first world country uh, and many second world countries. You know, uh, according to Child Trauma Org, in the U.S., one out of three females and one out of five males have been victims of sexual abuse before the age of 18 years old. And according to American Academic of Experts in Traumatic Stress, 30% of all male children are molested in some way compared to 40% of females. So some of the most startling statistics unearthed during research into sexual abuse are that children are three times as likely to be victim of rape than adults. The the stranger abuse constitutes by far more the majority the minority of cases. So being with a stranger through rape is a minority. It's more likely for a child to experience sexual abuse at the hands of a family member 
or another supposedly trustworthy adult. And we're going to find out how these folks operate. You know, sexual abuse is a truly a democratic issue. It affects children and adults across all ethnic, social, economic, educational, and even regional lines. You know, so, um, you know, the erotic use of a child, whether physically or emotionally, is sexual exploitation in the fullest meaning of the term, even no bodily contact, if no bodily contact is ever made. So it's important to notice that no sexual contact. Often, victims of sexual abuse will try to downplay their experience by saying that it wasn't that bad. You know, it's vital to recognize that abuse comes in many shapes, colors, sizes, and that all abuse is bad. So here's some outcomes of sexual abuse. It's by far the most common effect of sexual abuse, and that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder will become who you are. In, in the symptoms can extend far into adulthood and can, can include uh, withdrawn behavior, reenactment of the traumatic event, avoidance of circumstances that remind one of the event, and physiological uh, hypersensitivity and hyperreactivity. You know, it's interesting also that sometimes uh, the people that were abused or molested or raped as young children will reenact that in their adult life trying to understand what the perpetrator was actually getting out of the experience, thus creating that pedophile type of experience for themselves. You know, they try to answer their own questions by going through and being the perpetrator. And that is a horrible, horrible thing, but it it, it, it develops a legacy in, in people's lives. You know, another legacy of sexual abuse is that children abused at any early age often become hypersexualized or sexually reactive with promiscuity and poor boundaries. And, and unfortunately, the common reactions are, are to early sexual abuse. And so addiction is also a common outcome of sexual abuse. In fact, according to uh, AAETS, um, specialists in the addiction field, that's what they are, alcohol and drugs, it's estimated that up to 90% of their patients have a known history of some form of abuse. So, you know, we have to look at the specific symptoms of sexual abuse. Number one is, is withdrawal and mistrust of adults. Number two is suicidality. Uh, difficulty relating to others except in sexual or seductive ways. Also, unusual entrance in or avoidance of all things sexual or physical. They often have sleep problems and fears of going to bed. Uh, they also have frequent accidents or self-injurious behaviors. They also uh, have a strong refusal to go to school or to the doctor or home. And they also have a very secretiveness or unusual aggressiveness. They also have uh, sexual components to drawings and games. Um, their hyperreactions like obsessions, compulsions, phobias are often common in these folks. They also have uh, habit disorders like biting or rocking. Uh, unusual sexual knowledge or behavior, and also, you know, prostitution, big one, you know, is often a derivative of coming out of a, a childhood where you were sexually abused. Also, forcing uh, sexual acts on children is another symptom that often happens with this problem. Also, uh, an extreme fear of being touched or an unwillingness to submit to physical examination. You know, studies have shown that children who experience sexual abuse tend to recover quicker and with better results if they have a supportive, caring adult, ideally a parent, 
consistently in their life. You know, it's critical for every victim of sexual abuse to seek counseling to dis- to uh, decrease or to prevent PTSD. And the sooner the better. Uh, since 35% of uh, se- child sexual abusers were once abused, it's higher in males. And counseling might also help to reduce the possibility of the victim repeating the abusive pattern. So here's some statistics. An estimated 60% of perpetrators of sexual abuse are known to the child but are not full family members. Uh, they they could be family friends, babysitters, child care providers, or neighbors. About 30% of perpetrators of child abuse are family members. Only about 10% of perpetrators of child sexual abuse are strangers to the child. And not all perpetrators are adults. An estimated 23% of reported cases of child sexual abuse are perpetrated by individuals under the age of 18. And and so once again, you know, 23% we're talking about is actual teenagers perpetrating on younger children. In approximately one in seven, 30% uh, youth internet users receive unwanted sexual solicitations. Also, predators seek youth vulnerable to seduction, including those with histories of sexual or physical abuse, those who post sexually provocative photos, uh, videos, that all of a sudden creates a target for your child and for those who talk about sex with unknown people online. In more than one quarter, 27% of incidents, solicitors asked children used for their sexual photographs of themselves. Not all sexually abused children exhibit symptoms. Some estimate that about 40% of sexually abused children are asymptomatic. However, others experience serious and long-standing consequences. And a, and a very common presumption is that children will give one detailed, clear account of the abuse. This is not consistent with research. Disclosures often unfold gradually and may be presented in a series of hints because sometimes they disassociate so much during the abuse that they actually don't remember it and it just comes back in bits and pieces. It comes back in dreams. And, and if they're ready, you know, children may follow with a, a larger hint if they think it's handled well. But if, if they think that their parent is going to have a very nasty reaction or a very strong reaction or even deny that it ever happened because if it's a relative, obviously, they don't want them to go to jail. Or if it's a friend, they don't want them to go to jail. So oftentimes, they discount the child, blow it off, and the child finds themselves not to be safe. And sometimes, these idiot parents blame the children. Amazing. Teens 16 to 19 years of age were three and a half times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, and sexual assault. Approximately, this is United States statistic, 1.8 million adolescents in the United States have been the victims of sexual assault. And so, you know, even the Center of Disease Control says one in six boys and one in four girls are sexually abused before 18. So 82%, by the way, of all juvenile victims are female. Approximately 30% of sexual assault cases are reported to authorities. So 70% go unheard. And that means that there are so many people, so many people out there that have never revealed that they've been molested or raped as a child. About 20 million out of 112 million women in the United States, 18% have been raped during their lifetime. 
28% of male rape victims were first raped when they were 10 years old or younger. So how does this affect them? Well, the victims of childhood sexual abuse are faced with many emotional and psychological challenges as they age. And, and research tells us that adult survivors' worldviews, how they view themselves, are shaped by this uh, traumatic sexualization, this betrayal, this powerlessness, this stigmatization. And so research also says that negative behaviors and self-care tend to underscore the lives of adult survivors. Even as adults, victims of childhood sexual abuse are more likely to view relationships and life's more difficult moments as insurmountable ob- obstacles. And they, they, their early trauma making them more vulnerable to cycles of self-defeating talk and actions. And also, people, especially children, especially females uh, that are victims of child sexual abuse, have terrible body image. They have a terrible time taking care of themselves. And many of them gain enormous amounts of weight just to defend themselves so they no longer look like a sexual object. It makes them feel safer to know that they're not being viewed in a sexual way. You know, in clinical terms, uh, trauma causing factors can be difficult to connect with an emotional level. But you know, if it can be helpful to understand how this works, even if you do understand how powerlessness and stigmatization applies to your own coping methods and behavior and how you can take that information and change, you know, the knowledge can better prepare you to confront and overcome very personal aspects of your own behavior and, and, and then coping with that. Not only to best recognize what's going on, but it, it, know what's holding you back. And so um, looking at each turn can give you an up-close perspective and better understanding of the hurdles that you may struggle with. So number one is negative messages about your personal and interpersonal worth. Children, like adults, internalize emotional experiences from their lives. Their identities are formed by absorbing and thinking about the attitudes, behaviors, the expectations of those around them and inform and how that informs the world. So abused children, however, find themselves in extremely difficult environments surrounded by harmful role models and caretakers. So they're victims of physical, emotional, and verbal abuse. And because of this, their perceptions of their own worth and the goodness of others in their lives is skewed in a very negative way. And that is a scar that is very hard for them to get rid of. It's a philosophy, basically, and it's a philosophy that is constantly being challenged by themselves and they make the excuses to keep it because it is a form of philosophy that helps them defend themselves. They also may become aggressive. They also may become defensive or overly shy when they're presented with social opportunities. And as a result, many adult survivors of sexual abuse are unable to create close, intimate relationships with other people. They have enormous trust issues, always looking at motives, always looking at motives. You know, overwhelming emotional reactions is very common in in childhood adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So adult uh, survivors may also experience intense emotional responses to situations and events that remind them of those traumatic memories of abuse. And these triggers take many forms, specific words, for instance, finding themselves in situations that remind them of their past. There's often no way to avoid triggers during daily life as an adult. And because of this, adult survivors may find the simplest chores and tasks too emotional, painful, 
to bear, to say nothing of life's rare opportunities. You know, adult survivors may find it draining and challenging and oftentimes impossible to act in routine ways if their triggers from childhood affect them immensely and and routinely. And so, you know, this is a crippling thing that these uh, pedophiles are doing to these children. And this goes on and on and on. There's another thing, remembering abuse through bodily sensations. Many adult survivors report intense and unwanted uh, physiological sensations that appear during their Situation, during situations that evoke their past abuse. So during childhood, children lack the verbal and mental skills needed to describe their experiences. And because they can't mentally label and think about how they feel, their feeling of powerlessness, vulnerability, shame, guilt manifest in the form of physical sensations. It's called implicit memories or body memories. When an adult suddenly remembers a traumatic effect, uh, event from their childhood, And the way their body recorded their experience as a child resurfaces So because they don't have words for it. And so adult survivors may find themselves reliving through bodily sensations the intense emotional experiences they felt as a child. However, their young body recorded the emotional experiences. So a chill, an arousal, or a shaking arise full force when the memory itself And so from start to finish, these flashbacks are often horrific, visceral experiences that many adult survivors endure. And and so we also have to look at the personal narratives of abuse that come from adults who survived abuse as children. You know, the story of abuse is one that is unique to every survivor. And so much of their life unfolds in a continuation of their history of abuse, which are very hard-won personal narratives. Thinking in stories is a very human condition, and maintaining and referring back to the personal history of abuse presents adult survivors with many complex questions. The deal is this abuse is, you know, we often remember the most traumatic things. We often remember the most emotional things or the most scary things in our life. We don't remember the dull and boring moments in between. And so these experiences have a very strong pervasiveness of memory involved with them. And and so the story of our lives are very powerful forces. And with careful monitoring and guidance, adult survivors can learn to read their histories with more healthy, able eyes and avoid telling themselves tales of tragedy. If they can begin to build their life about what's happened after or what's happened in the middle, their life becomes a little more healthy in a a, uh, story perspective. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to also uh, continue talking about the uh, effects in adults, but we're also going to talk about how to identify these pedophiles. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. 
get inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, pedophiles, childhood molestation, and rape. Uh, heavy, heavy topic today. All right. So the, here's more of the effects on adults, folks. Acting on unconscious buried abuse is a very common theme for these folks. We've, we've learned that childhood abuse is often memorized by bodily sensations, but many memories of abuse can go unnoticed. But they still have a strong influence over adult lives. So as often happens during their mind's frantic search to make sense of their situation, they pull the plug and essentially disconnect from the memory altogether, often acting as if the experience never happened. And while this is a natural reaction for for a child developmentally unable to do much different, these childhood experiences just remain buried inside an adult survivor's mind. And they guide their behaviors. So without a proper recovery treatment, these hidden experiences, though they've never, ever surfaced, come to dictate how these survivors, as adults, interact with others, perceive their worth, or act or don't act during sexual encounters, uh, specific psychological defenses and behaviors, while perhaps all that is available to childhood victims can wreak havoc on the lives of adult survivors. So the results are often long-lasting and very negative. The next thing and the last effect that I'll talk about is engaging in avoidant coping styles. You know, adults who have survived sexual abuse as children may also fall into patterns of avoidant behavior. They may distance themselves from other people, never risk getting close to others, even purposefully hurt relationships they already have. This brand of behavior is hallmark of early abuse. And as children are forced into distressful sexual situations, they were denied many key developmental skills and experiences. So their childhood was developmentally off kilter, developmentally. And, and th- to lessen the pain of what they felt or remember in the past, adult survivors often seek to avoid the attention and closeness of others. So still others combined with many different kinds of avoidance to fit whatever perceptions their abused minds feel they're appropriate and necessary to them. So adults consciously and unconsciously think, feel, and behave under the influence of early sexual abuse. Childhood abuse not only robs children of loving, caring years, 
but it continues stealing valuable experiences and healthy coping mechanisms for the survivors. And, and, and if this list proves anything, it is that childhood and consequently adulthood is made difficult and complex in the face of these memories of sexual abuse. So the more you, an adult survivor, can learn to identify specific psychological roadblocks preventing the recovery, the better chance you have to get to reverse those negative behaviors that are affecting and thoughts that are affecting your life. So what is a pedophile look like? You know, they can be anyone, old, young, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, unprofessional, professional, any race. However, pedophiles often demonstrate very similar characteristics, but these are merely indicators and it should not be assumed that the individuals with these characteristics are actually pedophiles. But knowledge of these characteristics can give you some of the symptomology that they operate with and some of their behavior. And it is good to question that behavior. You know, often the pedophile, as I said before, is male and over 30 years of age single or with few friends in their age group. If married, the relationship is more like a companion based on no sexual relations or very, very rare. And they are often vague about time gaps and employment, which may indicate a loss in employment for questionable reasons or possible past incarceration. They're often uh, 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 fascinated with children and child activities appearing to prefer, prefer those activities to adult-oriented activities. And they uh, will often refer to children in pure angelic terms using descriptives like innocent, heavenly, divine, pure, and, and, and other words that describe children but seem inappropriate and kind of exaggerated. They often have hobbies that are childlike, such as collecting uh, popular expensive toys, keeping reptiles or exotic pets that kids may be fascinated with, building planes uh, or car models. Uh, they, they love to do things that children do to entice children to do them with them. They also have a specific age of a child that they target. Some prefer younger children, some prefer the older children. And often uh, their environment or a special room will be decorated in a childlike decor and will appeal to the age and the sex of the child that they're trying to entice. And, uh, you know, many pedophiles often prefer children close to puberty who are sexually inexperienced but curious about sex. So they, they, that's an easy, easy prey for them. And the pedophile will often be employed in a position that involves daily contact with children. And, and if not employed, they'll put themselves in a position to do volunteer work with children, often in a supervisory capacity such as sports coaching, uh, uh, sports instruction, unsupervised tutoring, or a position where they have the opportunity to spend unsupervised time with a child. You know, the pedophile will often seek out shy, handicapped, or withdrawn children, or those who come from troubled homes, from underprivileged homes, and they often shower these children with attention, with gifts, taunting them with trips to desirable places like amusement parks, zoos, concerts, the beach, and other such places. You know, they also work to master their manipulation skills and often unleash them on troubled children by first becoming their friend and then build the child's self-esteem. 
They may refer to the child as a special or mature, and they appeal to the need to be heard and understood and then entice them with adult-like activities that are often sexual in content, such as an X-rated movie or pictures. Or they refer them to alcohol or drugs to hamper their ability to resist the activities and recall the events that actually occur. And it's not unusual for the child to develop feelings for the perpetrator and desire their approval and continued acceptance. They will compromise their innate ability to decipher good and bad behavior, ultimately justifying the criminal's bad behavior out of sympathy and concern for their welfare. And I can't tell you how frustrating that is when you do the work and you hear somebody defend somebody that's actually abused them. Sorry, I have to get some water. Many times pedophiles will develop a a close relationship with a single parent in order to get close to their children. You know, once inside the home, they have many opportunities to manipulate the children. They use guilt, fear, love to confuse the child. And if the child parent works, it offers the pedophile private time needed to abuse the child. You know, they work hard at stalking their targets and will patiently work. To develop relationships with them and it's not uncommon for them to be developing a long list of potential victims at any one time and many pedophiles believe that what they're doing is not wrong and that having sex with a child is actually healthy for the child almost all pedophiles have a collection of pornography which they collect at all costs many of them also collect souvenirs from the victims they rarely discard either their porn or their collections for any reason one factor that works against the pedophile is that eventually the children will grow up and recall the events that occurred Um, often pedophiles are not brought to justice until such time occurs and so the victims are angered at being victimized and want to protect their children from the same consequences you know, laws such as Megan's Law, a federal law passed in 96 that authorizes local law enforcement agencies to notify the public about convicted uh, uh, criminal, sexual criminals living or working or visiting in their communities. And this has helped expose the pedophile and allows parents to better protect their children. Now, these guys operate. They're also, uh, they, they, you have to think of them in categories. There's four major uh, categories of a pedophile. There's a misoped. These offenders are interested in molesting and sexually abusing children because they want to physically harm them. The second type is the regressed child offender. This individual generally has relations with adults but offends against a child because of a stressful event in the offender's life that makes them seek someone that they can control. Also, the fixated child offender. This person is stuck in an early stage of psychosexual development. They have little to no activity with people of their own age and they're often uncomfortable around adults, but they love children and do not want to hurt them, so they rationalize that abuse is actually affection. And finally, there is the naive pedophile, and that individual, uh, for all intents and purposes, has no sense of right and wrong. This offender, often mentally retarded or unstable, does not comprehend the rules of normal society. You know, once they achieve success, the most initial con- once the initial contact is accidental, uh, touching or cuddling, this allows the offender to be close to a child without him or her suspecting that anything out of the ordinary is occurring. And if caught, it's easy to say that it's a misunderstanding. You know, unfortunately, many pedophiles also use coercion, frightening, 
the child into a compliance with threats against the child or their family. They also use bribes to ensure silence or gain consent. And in, in either case, pedophiles will typically misrepresent normal standards to gradually seduce children into believing that nothing bad is happening to them. And they may also try to silence them. And so it's important to understand that pedophiles often go undetected because they're so nice. You know, a, a typical groomer uh, befriended uh, be, will befriend the parents first and be reasonable and caring. And some parents allow them to watch their children. And when they're away, when they use, they'll use games, they'll use toys, they'll use a charming manner especially with girls, and they often videotape themselves molesting them in that moment that they finally got with that child. After each sexual encounter, they often use candy to bribe their victims into remaining quiet. Some start a relationship with the mother before they move on the children. You know, the predatory sex offender is paramount to public safety, getting getting your hands on these guys and getting them in jail. It, it is Equally important to know the types of children that pedophiles target. Molesters often choose victims who are vulnerable, who are quiet, who are uh, needy, as well as uh, socially troubled or isolated because they know that those children are desperate to have a friend. You know, um, unfortunately, those children are often submissive and inhibited, and they're also unlikely to give the offender a hard time if they force them into a sexual situation. They may also keep the secret, especially if they're bribed or threatened. You know, when, when those things emerge, people always want to know how the abuse could have gone on for so long without anybody knowing. But the truth is, predators can be quite polished. Quite often, they seem ordinary, helpful, and even professional. Since they don't fit a mold, it's easier for people around them to brush off the red flags. So, <coughs> excuse me, what to look for in, in uh, children and adults to, to know if they have possibly been abused? You know, what's considered child abuse, child sexual abuse? Well, child sexual abuse, once again, includes touching and non-touching activities. Some examples of touching include touching, touching a child's genitals or private parts for sexual pleasure or making the child touch someone else's genitals, play sexual games, or have sex putting objects or body uh, parts like fingers or, or tongue or penis inside the vagina or in the mouth. Uh, or the anus for sexual pleasure. You know, some examples of non-touching uh, pedophile activity is like showing pornography to a child or, or deliberately exposing an adult's genitals to a child or photographing a child in sexual poses or encouraging a child to watch or hear sexual acts or inappropriately watching a child undress or use the bathroom, as well as activities described Previously, there's also some serious growing problem of people making and downplaying sexual images of children on the Internet. So to view child abuse images is to participate in the abuse of a child. So those who do so may be abusing the children and be a part of the abuse because they're applauding it by watching it and looking at it on the Internet. So some warning signs uh, in children and adolescents of possible child sexual abuse. You know, children often show us rather than tell us and, and that something's upsetting them. So there may be many reasons for changes in their behavior. But we notice a combination of worrying signs, you know, that, that are calls for help. So here's what to watch out for in children. Acting out in an inappropriate sexual way with toys or objects or maybe other children. 
Nightmares, sleeping problems, very common. Becoming withdrawal or very clingy. Becoming unusually secretive or suddenly unexplained personality changes or mood swings or seeming insecure. They often uh, will regress to younger behaviors like bedwetting uh, once this happens. And that's to, once again, make themselves not sexual. Um, you know, they, they also have uh, unaccountable fear of particular places or people. Uh, outbursts of anger is often displayed in these children. They have changes in eating habits. And, you know, they also use new adult words for body parts uh, from no obvious source. So you just don't know where they've learned this stuff. They also uh, talk of a new older friend and unexplained money or gifts. Uh, many of them do self-harm like cutting or burning or other harmful activities. Uh, physical signs would be uh, like unexplained soreness or bruises around their genitals or mouth or sexually transmitted diseases or, God forbid, pregnancy. You know, many of these kids, they, they'll, they'll feel like running away. They're not wanting to be alone with a particular child or young person. Uh, any one sign doesn't mean that a child was or is being sexual abused, but the presence of these Several of, of several of these signs suggest that you should begin to ask questions and consider seeking help. But you want to keep in mind that some of these signs can emerge at other times of stress, such as during a divorce or the death of a family member or a pet or problems at school with friends or anxiety-inducing traumatic events. Now, here's some physical warning signs. Physical signs of sexual abuse are rare, however. If you see these signs, take your child to a doctor. Your doctor can help you understand what may be happening and tests for sexually transmitted diseases, but pain, discoloration, bleeding, discharges of the genital, the anus, or the mouth. Also, uh, a persistent or reoccurring pain during urination and bowel movements. That is a good physical sign, not a good one, but it's a physical sign that they may be getting sexual abuse. Also, wetting and, 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 and pooping uh, their pants, uh, it, it may be unrelated, and it has to be unrelated to toilet training, but that is something that quite possibly could be a sign that they are being abused. So, you know, let's talk about healing steps. You want to begin to learn, the, here's the hurt areas that people have. That trust, you know, the inner you that went into hiding as a child needs to know that adult you is safe. So do, you need to build a trust and treat the wounded person inside you the way you would have liked to have been treated when you were little. And beginning to trust yourself, you're going to learn how to trust other people. Faith leads to trust. So having faith in yourself that you have the tools can lead to trust. Faith is the bridge to trust. You also want to validate you, by acknowledging that the sexual abuse you were subjected to, or any abuse, wounded you, uh, clear to the depths of your soul, and your response to being wounded was completely normal under abnormal circumstances, and you need to validate that. You also, be angry. It's okay to be angry. In fact, it's better than okay. Be enraged at the injustice. You have to get angry before you can get well. Think of your anger as a healthy response, because it is. And also grieve, mourn your betrayal, mourn what might have been, what your family could have liked, what what been like, or what a carefree child should have felt like. Grieve your loss. People who bury their grief stay stuck in it. You also want to allow sorrow. You want to feel sadness for your inner child's pain. It, it, it was so lonely, this feeling that there was something somehow wrong with you. And also you want to... Put your face forward and look and acknowledge your history, but do not let it define you. Believe you are strong enough 
because you are. You survived and you are stronger than you think. Now we're going to go into the coping for spouses, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, pedophiles, uh, childhood molestation, and rape. And uh, once again, this is a heavy topic. But uh, we're talking about some healing that people can do in their adult life and steps to healing. And, uh, you know, the, the only way out is by admitting that what you went through still affects your life. You know, every journey begins with a single step, and this is huge. Denial is very powerful, especially when you had to deny this as a child, when you didn't understand and you didn't even know how to process what went on. And because of this stigmas um, that, that we've been talking about, admitting the effects of sexual abuse is almost an insurmountable task. However, as, you know, as loving, uh, having a loving, being a loving spouse you know, we must remember that we cannot uh, uh, force this, only encourage it. And we want to encourage each other as spouses to go through the process together. You know, timing is everything. And so finding that timing where both of you can get on page and process it, one, the spouse to encourage and the other to process, that helps everybody begin to adapt to a new life. You know, and also you got to realize you're not alone. You know, find a support group. One of the most powerful tools to a support is a support group where you become a member of a group that really understands what you've gone through. And you find your way through this and, and very empowering. And you'll be heard and you'll be believed. And it's a validation and a justification of your experiences with tools to help you recover. So many organizations have resources, including uh, chat rooms, uh, referral lists, workshops, retreat suggested reading lists and support for family members and so it's good and here's another thing ask 
for help, find a good therapist, not just any therapist that's local. Make sure it's somebody that's dealt with this kind of issue before. Make sure that it's somebody that may have good referrals. You know, uh, for most support groups, not only do they have a referral list, but they also have detail how to go finding the, the best therapist that's right for you. You know, you don't want to be afraid to phone interview a potential therapist, uh, putting, you know, right up front what the situation is and make sure they have a, a therapeutic experience in the topic. You know, and for spouses, if your husband or partner is not ready, find a therapist who can give you the tools to help your family. And you can also run, but you can't hide. You have to examine your self-destructive behaviors. You know, suffering is, is something that we all feel we cannot bear. And most victims seek out things they think will take the pain away. And this practice of self-medicating merely dulls the pain and does not take it away. And so these self-destructive behaviors often are caused by self-loathing. And so why are you punishing yourself? Well, you need to ask yourself. So, so here's some common themes from male survivors. You know, the topic of childhood sexual abuse is something that is often discussed in part because of deep shame that is common among survivors. It's coupled with uh, legitimate fears of being judged by others. And so this unfortunate reality means that many men who experience various forms of sexual trauma keep their feelings bottled up. And they're they're weary of of sharing their memories and their emotions with anyone, including their partner. You know, experiences from earlier life commonly impact how a person relates to another uh, in personal relationships. Sadly, many people believe that survivors of childhood sexual abuse are somehow damaged goods. And it simply isn't true. What is true, however, is that the very forms of uh, sexual abuse uh, to another uh, can be very affecting. And depending on the personal and individual dynamics. So, so while there is no prescribed way that the experience of abuse will impact the survivor or their relationship, male survivors and their partners have been able to identify some, some very common factors. And this is done through research. Number one is the avoidance of a certain people, places, or situations. And this is male survivors I'm talking about. You may notice him leaving the room. When some things come on television or changing the subject uh, when specific things are discussed, they may be certain types of people that they stay away from or they may be uh, parts of their past that they avoid talking about. These are common ways that people try to keep themselves safe and try to hold distressing memories at bay. Also, bad dreams uh, being preoccupied and spacing out. They may seem to be in another world, appear disconnected, distracted. After a traumatic experience, some people can experience flashbacks to the event where the person relieve, uh, relives the trauma, and and, uh, and it's like they're in the here and the now. And in a clinical sense, they're, they're, you're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, uh, oftentimes they have memories of sexual assault. For some men, this can emerge without invitation at any time, day or night, even while they're asleep. In a form of nightmares, and this exhausting experience can lead to long-term negative health effects. Also, they have uh, oftentimes have hypervigilance, and they're easily startled. Uh, you know, they may be pre- uh, preoccupied with uh, checking the doors, the windows, avoiding crowds, or public transportation. They may become anxious when you or the children are, aren't home. You know, in the context of experience, this makes perfect sense in terms of their desire to keep themselves and their loved ones safe has experienced what it's like to be unsafe. So they want everybody to be super safe. 
You know, they also have major trust issues, even even with their partner, you know, and they create trust issues. And, and it's when a person is supposed to be able to trust, and how can they when their trust has been violated? They've been turned into an object. So it can be extremely difficult to take trust for granted in later relationships. Conversely, in some cases, they may trust you, but nobody else. You know, that those issues are also very common in a relationship. Also, mood swings. It's common for people who have experienced sexual abuse to find that they can swing from feeling happy to angry to sad or to other strong feelings. And these feelings can come on quickly without any warning. So intense shifts might not make much sense to the observer and appear to have no external cause. So in reality, these feelings are usually connected to a thought or a memory that has come unexpectedly and that brings with it some distressing feelings of the original event. They also often, uh, males have addictive, compulsive, or self-harming behaviors. Sometimes people who've experienced sexual abuse develop behaviors that seem to be self-defeating, such as uh, you know, problematic use of drugs, alcohol, gambling, workaholism, compulsive exercise, overspending, overeating, consuming very little food, or having complex rituals around the quantity and timings of meals. Some survivors uh, uh, struggle with all kinds of rituals that they have to fill their day with. Others might be more directly involved in self-harming or obsessing about their body's appearance in various ways. Many of these behaviors are not necessarily harmful in themselves, but they're often uh, viewed as uh, beneficial or a source of pride. These activities do have an internal logic to the survivor, and they are called self-soothing, calming they offer a sense of control. They can mask or distract them from painful feelings. However, these can become problematic when they are used to the extent that the person is not able to incorporate or manage other aspects of daily life in a reasonable or balanced way. You know, <clears throat> male survivors, up, up to one out of six men report having been had unwanted sexual direct contact with an older person by the age of 16. If we include non-contact sexual behavior, such as someone exposing him or herself to a child, up to one in four men report boyhood sexual victimization. On the average, boys first experience sexual abuse at the age 10. The age range at which boys are, are first abused, however, is from infancy to late adolescence. And boys at the, are at the greatest risk of sexual abuse are those living with neither or only one parent, those whose parents are separated, divorced, or remarried, those whose parents abuse alcohol or are involved in criminal behavior, or those who are disabled. Boys are most commonly abused by males between uh, 50 and 75 percent. However, it's difficult to estimate the extent of abuse by females since abuse by women is often covert. Also, when a woman initiates sex with a boy, he is likely to consider it a sexual initiation and deny that it was abuse, even though they may refer to the significant trauma of that experience. You know, it's uh, uh, some uh, smaller proportion of sexually abused boys, uh, more, uh, uh, more than sexually abused girls, report sexual abuse to authorities. So boys often don't report. Common symptoms for sexually abused men include guilt, anxiety, depression, Interpersonal isolation, shame, low self-esteem, uh, self-destructive behavior, post-traumatic stress reactions, poor body image, sleep disturbance, nightmares, anorexia, 
bulimia, uh, a relational sexual dysfunction, compulsive behavior like alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, overeating, overspending, sexual obsession. You know, the vast majority, over 80% of sexually abused boys never become ad- uh, uh, adult uh, perpetrators, while a majority of perpetrators, up to 80%, were themselves abused. There's no compelling evidence that sexual abuse fundamentally changes a boy's sexual orientation, but it may lead to confusion about their sexuality. Now, female survivors, one in five women, 20%, will be sexually assaulted while at college, while only 4% of college men will be sexually assaulted. You can make a difference. Take photos to share resources with sexual assault. You know, sign up for anything, support groups or survivors. You know, most college victims are assaulted by someone they know. 40% of college women who were raped tell no one about the assault, and it's estimated that only 5% of sexual assaults on college campuses are reported, making sexual assault the most underreported crime. You know, four out of five rape victims subsequently suffer from chronological physical pain or uh, psychological conditions, and 40% of rape survivors develop sexually transmitted diseases as a result of the sexual uh, uh, assault. Campus perpetrators are often serial offenders, and over a third of women who are raped as minors are also raped as adults. 42% of raped women expect to be raped again. Rape survivors are 13 times more likely to attempt suicide than are people who have not been victims of crime. You know, symptoms of uh, behavioral uh, conditions that come from uh, females being uh, 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 raped or molested is, number one, their emotions such as fear, shame, humiliation, guilt, self-blame are common, and they lead to depression and anxiety. Uh, Symptoms of post-traumatic stress, these survivors may experience intrusive or reoccurring thoughts of abuse while uh, through nightmares and flashbacks. And they also have a very distorted self-perception oftentimes. They often develop a belief that they caused the sexual abuse and that they deserve it. And these beliefs may result in self-destructive relationships. Here's some physical effects, chronic uh, and diffuse pain, especially abdominal and pelvic pain. Lower pain threshold, anxiety and depression, self-neglect, eating disorders have been uh, attributed to childhood sexual abuse. You know, adults abused children are four or five to five times more likely to have abused alcohol or illicit drugs, as I said before. Also, sexual effects. Uh, Disturbance of desire or arousal or orgasm may result from the association between sexual activity violation and pain so the survivors are uh, female survivors are more likely to have 50 or more intercourse partners they uh, have had a uh, sexually transmitted infection and they often engage in risk-taking behaviors that place them at risk of of, um, viruses such as hiv you know early adolescent or unattended pregnancy and prostitution are often associated with sexual abuse. Also, they have gyno, uh, gynecological problems, including uh, pelvic pain, dysparia, vaginitis, uh, you know, uh, nonspecific vaginitis. You know, that's very common diagnosis among survivors. They also have interpersonal effects. Adult survivors uh, of sexual abuse may be less skilled or at, at self-protection. They're more apt to accept being victimized. And they have a tendency to be victimized repeatedly. 
which may result in uh, a very dangerous situation and exploitation. And so, you know, in summary, many survivors of abuse have heard painful comments from others who didn't get it and telling them their abuse was the past and get over it. But sadly, childhood abuse causes many difficulties for survivors. And it's not simply a matter of forgiving and forgetting. Not everyone experiences the same after effects of childhood abuse, but there are many commonalities among these survivors. That's our show. Our next show is Parenting 101. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember, when a child is acting horribly, let them know that they're about to make you act like the parent you did not want to become. (laughs) Also, when a child cleans their room, they spend 1% of the time cleaning, 30% complaining, and 69% playing with the stuff they just found. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.